This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 23rd, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And as we've kind of gotten used to in today's world, especially with uh, Trump in office and trade war and what's going on in Europe, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of variables that are at play and you need some unbiased guidance. And that's what we are here to give you. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you will call me with your investing questions during this hour. And when and if you make time to call, you will take charge of the program and shape it to your advantage and help you better take that next step in your personal version or journey in financial freedom. Now, we do this each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So this is not CNBC. This is not Kramer, okay? This isn't just about viewership. This is about dispensing the best information we can, giving you the best guidance we can. Because ultimately, if we do that, you will keep coming back to the show. CNBC, they just care that you keep coming back so that they can sell ad dollars. That's it. Okay. Now, our anytime listener line is open right now at 888 chart That's 888-992-4278. Now, a couple Invest Talk events coming up. Steve Peasley just had his New York in-person portfolio consultations last week, Thursday and Friday. His next ones are going to be in San Jose. October 10th, and then once again, back in New York on November 7th. Also, our KP Wealth Conference is coming up October 12th in Irvine, California. It's called Earning Yield in a No-Yield World, Investing in Real Estate, Stocks, and Bonds for Income. You can register and learn more at investtalk.com about all of those events. Now, my main talking point today centers around this story. Even if the Fed cuts rates to zero, recession is likely less than 12 months away. Now, this is an opinion by David Rosenberg. And the question, is he correct? And will the Fed cut the rates to zero with within the next 12 months? We can talk about that as well. Also, buying and selling a house has become more complex than most other things in today's world. It hasn't really caught up with how easy it is to, say, buy and sell stocks. So the industry is ripe for disruption. The big question is how and who? We're going to get to that. We're also going to touch on the repo markets. I know it's not the most exciting thing, but it's the plumbing of our financial system, short-term lending. And there was a very interesting interview with Fed President William Dudley today on Bloomberg TV, and I'm going to touch on what he said and what that might mean 
longer term. And then another story that I still haven't got to, but is your parents' financial advice kind of wrong in today's world? We're going to touch on that as well. So all those things are what I want to discuss, but ultimately what I really want to discuss is what is on your mind. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So give me a call. Let's uh, touch on the market quickly. The S&P was down. Most of the market was down early and we rallied most of the day to close modestly higher, you know, uh, up 10 base, 20 basis points probably on average for the broad market. So a very modest up day after a pretty sharp sell-off to close last week. And we got a little bit of retrace. It's, I don't think it really changed anything technically. Still, uh, I think, in a vulnerable position here near all-time highs trying to roll over. And the big question is, will it by the end of the week? And I think we'll... I think that's the key. It's going to be probably this week if we get that major rollover uh, now that options X or quadruple witching is over. Now let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, you guys always talk about the economic cycle that we're maybe in the end of it. Can you explain what an economic cycle is? Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, uh, that's a, it's kind of a broad question, but every economy goes, goes up and down, right? You have an expansion of credit, uh, especially in a Keynesian economy. That's what uh, global central banks work under, the Keynesian mantra of, well, if you just lower rates, it spurs demand, borrowing from the consumer as well as businesses, and they go out there and invest or spend, depending if you're a consumer or a business, and that creates economic activity and ultimately grows the wealth of everybody involved with that particular economy. Now, the problem is when that lending becomes poor, misguided. In short, a misallocation of capital. And there's always going to be some in an economy But the problems lie when there's too much that overpowers the good, right? And the Fed has been for now 30 plus years, been lowering rates to new lows every time we saw a recession, right? The excesses of the last recession created inflation and the Fed wants to control inflation. And when that picks up too much, they raise rates and that breaks something. You know, it was a savings and loan crisis in the 80s. It was a dot-com bubble in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. It was the housing crisis, housing bubble in the mid-2000s. You know, what is it today? Uh, It could be the, the sovereign debt bubble. Could be a lot of different aspects of our economy have a lot of misallocation of capital because of cheap money. Look at the WeWork of the world. WeWork isn't the only one, right? So... The economic cycle happens for various reasons, but the reason you have a downdraft typically is because there's misallocation of capital in one area or multiple areas of the economy during the good times where people get complacent. They lend to the wrong entities. It could be individuals, it could be governments, it could be corporations, and that's the ebb and flow. That's just... Honestly, that's the cycle of the of humans, right? 
the longer things are good, the more complacent we tend to get. Right? Just think of the children of the wealthy. Now, there's anomalies where some of them become very productive, successful people. But I would say the majority kind of rests on their laurels, get complacent because they have money, and sadly to say, a lot of them don't amount to a whole lot because they've, they have that complacency, right? And vice versa. So it's just in our human nature to get comfortable when things are good. And with comfortability comes bad, poor, and lazy decisions. And that happens a lot. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to thank you for making this program a part of your routine. Steve and I do our very best to make it interesting and instructive for you each and every weekday. And whenever you, whenever you have an investing question, I encourage you to explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, subscribe, and then rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and we are already into the last full trading week of September. The next KPP Financial Wealth Conference is set for Saturday, October 12th in Irvine, California. The focus will be on real estate investing. You can learn more now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin invite your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888 chart 888 Let's check in on some economic numbers today. Now, while the stock market in many respects is near all-time highs, manufacturing has weakened some uh, with PMIs globally fairly uh, negative overall for most of the developed markets. And Germany just came out with uh, their their PMIs, and that was pretty, pretty weak today. Uh, Jobs and housing are are doing well, and this is because of low interest rates. So companies can refinance, they they can get money if they need to, to meet payroll, to expand their business, to keep their business stable, even if you know, the, the overall economy is, is slowing. So many times when it becomes a lot harder to borrow, that's when you see job losses pick up because companies need to cut staffing if they can't continually fund that payroll turnover. Also, when growth and in incomes accelerate, which that's actually happened recently, that's actually a time that's typically late in the cycle. It's a late cycle phenomenon. And what happens is the labor market gets too tight, which kind of is now, you know, with unemployment, three and a half percent or so. And therefore, the attractive employees need to get paid more. They demand more. And that crimps profits for corporations. And then eventually they need to cut staff to get their profits back in line. Okay. Now housing is doing well because of low interest rates. We know that. And the consumer has been relatively strong. In fact, so far the expectation is a 5% growth in 
holiday sales this year, which, you know, I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition, but that's the expectation where last year was about three and a half percent growth. As usual, most of the time, prognostications by analysts tend to be too bullish the farther out they are. So we'll see, you know, we're, we're almost into October and holiday season then becomes a month away. And as you get closer and closer, you see a revision to those expectations often. Now let's grab another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hey, it's Peter Justin. I listen to you guys on podcast. I have a question about GameStop, GME. want to buy some. I'm looking at it as a value play. Their book value is 0.31. I'm wondering if from what you guys uh, know about value investing, would GameStop be a good pickup based on a value play? I listen to you on podcasting. Uh, I would say it's a good pickup based on a value play, but it is in the heart of a disruptive technology, which is gaming on demand. And we're only in the infancy, and all the major platforms and developers have started it. Even Apple, they got into the mix, right? They uh, What do they call it? Apple Arcade, I think it is. And that's going to be five bucks a month. It's going to have like 100 games or 50 games. And that's only going to expand from there. And so the days of going to a store and buying video games is becoming further and further in the rearview mirror. And the days where you simply download everything onto a device is becoming more clear and more obvious, right? And so how does GameStop navigate those waters? Because their business today isn't gone. It's certainly dying, but it's not dead by any sense of the word. Earnings per share was down 10% year over year, but that's not dramatic loss. Uh, revenue was actually, uh, it was down 14%, excuse me. Uh, so that's down as well. So you're seeing a, a continued decline. Now they had a very strong business in uh, kiosks where they would sell mobile phones, etc. but they just sold that off. So they don't really have a clear path forward and that worries me, but from a deep value play, it's certainly cheap. But, you know, long term, I don't know if I love it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind. You can give me a call right now. The phone lines are open at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, my main talking point today centers around the story, and it's, this is just an opinion, even if the Fed cuts rates to zero, recession is less than 12 months away. And this is coming from David Rosenberg. He tends to be a, a market bear. He's the chief economist at Gluskin Chef, and he sees economic growth in the U.S. turning negative sooner than most investors anticipate. Now, the Fed lowered its Fed funds rate by a quarter point last week in reaction to the economic weakness. That is clear, and we talked about it for a while, and what is also clear is that the Fed 
at least Jerome Powell, based on his wording, believes that this is just what he would call a mid-cycle adjustment, meaning the economy is not going to a hell in a handbasket. It's just a little weaker than we had hoped, and a couple rate hikes, or cuts, excuse me, would give a little juice, a little life into the economy and save it from a recession. At least that's, I think, what the Fed is hoping. They want some sort of a soft landing. right? A soft landing is when you have economic deceleration and it doesn't go into a full crash, right? You saw economic deceleration in 2006, 7, but you had a crash in 08. And the hope the Fed has now is that this does not turn into a crash and the way they they believe they can avoid a big crash is cutting rates and being proactive. And that's what they are that's what they're doing right now. Now, the growth has not gone negative this year. And in fact, the Atlanta Fed GDP now number is at 1.9% for the third quarter. So clearly not an exciting economy, but slowing, especially when you look at the second and third quarters of last year. Now, David Rosenberg says that he thinks they'll go negative, will go negative in October and December through 2020, meaning the recession basically is starting, is according to him. I think that's a little hyperbole. And yes, earnings are contracting some, but I think it's going to take a, a, a more of a major shock. Now, is this repo market issue going to be the start of it? Or is it also the kickoff of QE from the Fed? Because David didn't talk about that. He didn't talk about, oh, what if the Fed starts printing money again? I could see that too, even before we get to 0% interest rates. Even Jerome Powell said that in his, in his press conference that he could see an expansion of the balance sheet before negative interest rates. So why couldn't you do expansion of the balance sheet before you get to 0% interest rates? I think that's certainly a possibility. So are we in a recession? I don't think we're in a recession yet. And I think these rate cuts will help. But you also have to understand they only help three, six, nine months from now, typically. Takes a little while for them to filter into the overall economy. The rate hikes last year are just finally fully realized in the overall economy. Okay, so now I don't think we're in a recession, but I would not rule it out for 2020. Let's go to Noel in Napa. He's looking at GFF. Let me look at what that is. You there, Noel? Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, I own Griffin. Uh, I've owned it uh, mm-hmm. a long time, and I'm just wondering what you. Uh, I'd like to exit it sometime uh, coming up, and I was just wondering what would be a exit price you might see for that that I should hold out for. Okay. Why do you? Why do you want to exit it? Um. Well, I'd I'd like to uh, put myself in a more uh, a, a position uh, more. Oh, I don't know what's the word. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, Lower risk? You know, I, I guess I'm, th- you know, more uh, uh, a position of, of safety uh, because, you know, we've, we've been in a bull market, bull, uh, a hot market mm-hmm. for a long time now, and it's, I'd right. like to be in a more uh, safe position, I guess. Okay, so this is Griffin Corporation. It's about a billion dollar market cap, but it also has about a billion dollars in debt. So that worries me a little bit. Uh, They look fairly diversified. They manufacture plastic film laminates, garage doors, landscaping products, electronic communication systems, for uh, defense electronics. They're kind of all over the place when it comes to their their business, but they have a pretty decent business. Uh, Yields 1.42%, so not a big dividend. Their revenues are up 11% year over year. Earnings are up 121% year over year. I like that. And they look to have positive free cash flow. Return on equity is about 4%. So that's relatively low. So, you know, I agree it's a smaller company. It's going to be very fairly cyclical, even though they're kind of diversified among various industries. And it has rallied. It has rallied from a 10 all the way up to 20. So it's doubled in the past, uh, basically since the low in December. And I don't think this gets past $23. So somewhere 21 to $23, somewhere in that range, that's where I would be selling it, which isn't too far from here since we closed at 20.38 today. Thanks for the call, Noel. Now on tomorrow's Invest Talk, oh, the historical weakest week of the year is here. We're going to talk about that. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART. Overall, I feel pretty good about our investment decisions. But there are times I wonder if our current 401k plan could be doing better. I mean, which funds are the right funds for me? For us. You're listening to someone who could benefit from KPP Financial's active 401k program. I can't spend all my time following the market, and I'm sure it would certainly be a big help to receive advice based on real data from unbiased advisors. The active 401k program features math-based models to guide you in and out of the various investment options in your plan. KPP monitors and advises. You take action with the active 401k program. KPP clients immediately see current investment recommendations configured to match their personal plan preferences. Active 401k. Okay. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. The great thing about achieving financial freedom, you can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. And here's more good news. KPP clients who are active 401k subscribers will receive a complimentary subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Each Friday, Steve Peasley writes a market action and trend newsletter that serves as a quick summary of the week that was. It also includes stock ideas, portfolio management information, and consumer finance tips. So enroll in the Active 401k program and also get the KPP Premium Newsletter. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. 
8899 chart, 8992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's talk a little bit about the real estate buying process. And this is an area where it still is confusing for a lot of people to how do you how do you buy a home? Do you do you, do you need an agent? Do how do you qualify for a loan? Should you do that first? Do you which broker do you use? Do you go to your bank or do you use a mortgage broker? Uh, you know what is reasonable to pay for a property in your neighborhood? Something that you're you're looking for based on your needs. You know, how do you make sure that there are people looking out for your best interest? Right to where you're not missing things that the professional would completely understand. Right, like home inspections, property taxes, those things. It can be complex for a lot of people. And that's very different from most other aspects of our world today, which are driven by technology, driven by clear pricing, clear understanding of what's happening. And right now, there is a big change in the industry because of the information that is made available, not to the consumer, because yes, the consumer has more information, but to the likes of Zillow, for example, right? who came out and pioneered the Zestimate to use machine algorithms based on sales data to give you an estimate or a Zestimate of how much your home is worth. And that's the start. That was the first time you saw a tech company try to change the way real estate was looked at. Now, $74 billion are paid out or were paid out last year in 2018 to real estate agents in commissions. While investors also poured billions into disruptors to the space to go out there and find ways to Reduce the friction, right? You have to, uh, if you want to buy a home, you need to find the seller. And the seller is paying typically a 5 6% commission that's split between two agents. And there's certainly some positives to that, that both agents have a duty, a fiduciary duty, to their clients to negotiate the best price, the best deal. And while that is necessary in some cases, I would say the majority of cases, you know, your average home, it's not quite needed like it used to be because information flows easily straight to the buyer or the seller. And so Zillow has started to actually buy up homes, use their data to price them, to upgrade them if necessary, find the contractors to do the work, tell them how much they should pay for a home, and then what should ultimately be listed for. Why? Because they can track. What's the demand for three-bedroom homes in this neighborhood, or five-bedroom homes in that neighborhood, or condominiums in this area of, of town? and know how to appropriately price it. 
Now, this is a risky endeavor, right? Because simply, if you hold the inventory for too long in the wrong market, it can hurt profits overall. And there's razor thin margins for this endeavor. You really have to know the market. And if you know anyone that's flipped a home, that you have to, they, they know that you have to buy right and you need to get the work done quickly, efficiently, cheaply as possible and get it on, back on market and sell it for a reasonable price. And when you can do that and you do the legwork, you can make decent margins. And if you use leverage, you can do very, very well. But as we know with a financial crisis back in 08, Leverage, especially in the real estate market, can be a very dangerous thing. But they think their secret sauce is that they have 180 million unique visitors to their website each and every month, even though a small handful actually go and buy and sell anything. So this is certainly, uh, Amazon's gotten into it. I think they bought, I forgot who they bought. They bought a player. And they're thinking about entering, obviously thinking about entering this space. And I do think it will eventually be a time, a, a similar to buying a stock. When you want to go buy a house, there'll be bids and asks, right? The owner has ask, the buyers have bids in like any stock and the owner can go and accept that highest bid whenever they want. And it'll be more electronic, easier, and less friction. Here comes another caller question. Ben from New York is asking about investment magazines from 888.99 chart. Uh, hey guys, Ben here from New York, huge fan of the podcast and uh, listen every single day. But uh, I do like print magazines. I'm one of the few people that actually have a few subscriptions, so I get magazines to the house. And I was wondering if you guys could recommend a decent magazine that gives information kind of like your podcast. I uh, still want to keep listening to you guys, of course, but I would like to have something that's reliable that I can kind of peruse throughout the month. So I was wondering if you could recommend a high-quality investing magazine uh, for a loyal listener of the podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Great question. And there are a lot of pretty decent magazines. You know, Business Week is a a good one. Uh, But my favorite is The Economist. And... The reason is because it covers the entire world and covers economic stories as well as political because often they intertwine. And it's actually a British magazine. So it has a more European perspective which covers more countries, more political views, and it's just overall more worldly. Another reason why the newspaper I read daily isn't the Wall Street Journal. Jason in our office actually read that one. But I, I read the Financial Times because I believe it covers the global economy better. has a different perspective than you're going to get from Bloomberg. Right? We watch Bloomberg kind of in the office. We have it on. You know, more for news stories, not necessarily for opinions or personalities or anything. And that's kind of why we like Bloomberg better. It's less about personalities than CNBC is. Right? It's more about the news story, distributing facts and not having an opinion. 
And ultimately, that's what you're looking for is somebody who is unbiased or an outlet that is unbiased. And I feel like The Economist is fairly unbiased and covers very relevant topics. Now, is it the most exciting read? Is it engaging to the average person? No. But does it probably have the best information overall on a consistent basis? I would argue yes. So if I'm going with one, it's The Economist. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, And obviously, you will understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experience market analysis. That is why you are here. So I encourage you to subscribe to the KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every Friday. It comes to your email box. In the newsletter, you get valuable information such as the week's market analysis, portfolio management guidance, and stock ideas, as well as personal finance tips. Once again, it comes out each Friday, and Steve will share his highlights of the KPP Premium Newsletter this Friday coming up. And you can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. For serious investors interested in improving their ability to build financial freedom, we have an important invitation to a new KPP Wealth Management Conference. Earning yield in a no-yield world. Investing in real estate, stocks, and bonds. Speakers will include Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, and they'll be joined by real estate experts and a trust attorney. The October 12th conference in Irvine, California, will cover these topics Understanding real estate investing, from buy and hold to vacation rentals and land banking, how the trade war and economic trends will affect stocks and bonds ways to increase your income potential and defer taxes using trusts, and a lot more. Seating is limited to 50 attendees. Tell your friends the newest KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th. Learn more and sign up now at investtalk.com. Eight eight nine nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have 10, 12 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now we're into week two of the General Motor strikes, and fifty years ago, the United Auto Workers strike at GM plants would have been a serious economic problem. Today, not quite as much. When the UAW went on strike against GM back in 1946 and 1970, GM was the nation's largest employer. And the UAW was the largest labor union. Now in 1970, members participated in a 67-day strike. But 22,000 were in Canada. In contrast, today... 46,000 members went on strike this week. So the economy clearly is much, much bigger than it was in 1970, but it's only about 10% of the number of, maybe 15% of the number of workers compared to 1970. Part of that is because GM has outsourced a lot of their components. So those jobs have instead become directly tied to 
the auto industry are now more indirectly tied. But still, it's a much lower impact on the overall economy. UAW strikers in 1970 constituted about one of every 200 workers, so about 0.5% of the workforce. Today, only one out of 3,300 workers, so I mean that's 0.03% of the overall workforce. Now, there's still a ripple through the supply chain, like I said. And it could have political consequences. Think of, of Trump and the trade war. And what happens when in Ohio and Michigan when it comes to the election next year. Is this the auto workers' way of saying, hey, Trump, you said you were going to help us. Remember him going to Detroit? That he was going to be the champion of the auto worker and American manufacturing. And maybe they don't feel the effects, the positive effects of So the union has been around since 1935. Talking 84 years. So, you know, this is uh, not as big as it used to. Used to be from an economic standpoint, but I do think politically, especially because Ohio, Michigan, those are swing states, this is much more of a political issue for the Trump and maybe even the next Democratic uh, candidate, and how they plan to help these workers and these regions that depend a lot on the auto industry. Now, if we keep moving, we can fit in another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. Uh, my name is Ray. I wanted to uh, know your opinion on stock Enogen, uh, symbol I-N-G-N. What do you think about the stock, and what is the... A good entry point for this talk. Thank you. All right. This is a very interesting one. At least the chart is. It IPO'd back in 2014 in the teens. And it rallied to an all-time high at $287.88 back in 2018. Just a year ago. September last year, it made a high. And it's basically been sinking ever since. It's only had two positive months since then. And now we're at $47.37. Yep, you heard that right. From $288 to $47 in the span of one year. So clearly their business has deteriorated dramatically. This is another example of a name that was growing very, very well. 2012, it made three cents, and in 2018, it made $2.30. So that growth over a six year span was dramatic. But guess what? This year, they're only supposed to make a dollar eight. So their earnings are going to be down 53%. And the expectations are for growth again next year. However, no, I wouldn't bet on it. Clearly, there's something wrong with the underlying business. Now, revenue only grew 4% last quarter, earnings down 31%. That worries me. A billion dollar market cap on revenues of about 400 million. Fairly solid. P ratio, uh, it's still, even on today's earnings or next year's earnings, positive earnings are somewhere around 40. So I think this is still expensive. I think this needs to head back down into the teens. And that's when I would be interested in this name. But I would 
hold off till then because the chart is absolutely dire. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here and to help you achieve your own personal version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. We're going into the last segment, so give me a call at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, the weakest week of the year is here. Why one strategist is not worried. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is on duty, ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Eric in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I uh, just had a quick question to see if, it, if you think right now would be a good time to purchase the Fidelity Energy Index ETF, F-E-N-Y. I know the dollar's still pretty strong. But I do think on the horizon, uh, inflation will be more of a factor as we get closer to 2020, especially in the middle part. And this particular sector has been oversold. It's undervalued. And I feel that uh, you know a large position right now would be really good. just want to get your thoughts on it for the next six months to a year for putting in a considerable amount of a position in F-E-N-Y. Thank you. Have a great day. I was looking at the Fidelity MSCI Energy Index ETF, F-E-N-Y, and this is just simply a play on the energy markets. Are we going to get a continued rally in oil prices because of lower supply, maybe higher demand, or geopolitical situation? That's Those are typically the three catalysts for higher oil prices. Now, the geopolitical situation is clearly the biggest risk factor to oil prices going up. And in this case, that wouldn't be a risk. That would be a positive if you own this name. Uh, Because of the Iran situation and Saudi Arabia, that doesn't look like something that's going to end just like this. There's going to be some sort of bigger issue or resolution. So in that sense, I like it. Uh, Now, Another factor could also be a lower lower dollar, and that is also something that I could see happening as well as the Fed is going to have to restart QE. So that's also positive. Now, the negatives are probably shale oil has become the swing producer. It's at a lower price point than a lot of developed swing reserves that, that in the past at higher price points. So... The upside to oil prices from a supply standpoint, I think, are somewhat limited. And on the demand side, if the economy globally is weakening, the demand for oil will likely weaken as well, even though the emerging markets, which is kind of where you're seeing the growth in energy production, the most growth, that continues to do fairly well and doesn't have a lot of the issues that some of the domestic markets have. So that one I'm kind of uh on. I don't think it's too much risk on the downside. So I kind of like it because of potential weaker dollar over the next 6 to 12 months, potential geopolitical problems that will likely get oil prices higher from here. So 
uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. And technically, it did make a higher low with a MACD positive divergence. And that looks to be a nice uh, starting point for a potential rally. But don't expect this to go to 2006 heights. What was it, 2007, 2008? When was the, the high in oil prices? I don't think it's going to be a market like that. But I could see 10, 15, 20% rally in this name over the next 12 months. Let's quickly get into an interview with New York Fed President John Williams that he gave today. And he said, it is important that we examine the recent market dynamics and their implications for liquidity needs in relation to the overall amount of reserves held at the Federal Reserve. This is exactly echoing what I've been saying basically for a week now, last week, about why the repo market had its problems. Why rates spiked up is because the reserves in the system are being sopped up by debt. When I say debt, I mean our federal debt, treasury issuance. And he said, we will continue to monitor and analyze developments closely and we'll ease, we'll assess the implications for the appropriate level of reserves and time to resume organic growth of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, i.e. QE. So he basically admitted, we're going to start QE. It's just a matter of when and how exactly we do it. And his predecessor, William Dudley, said in an interview on Bloomberg today that they will increase the size of their balance sheet so they start to buy treasury securities again. So he's admitting, even though he's not at the Federal Reserve, he was a president and he understands how they function. So he kind of confirmed exactly what I'm saying. Fed is going to start printing money again. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Steve will be here tomorrow, and I will return on Thursday. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.